0: Hey, everybody, want to welcome you again to the Before You Quit podcast, where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard, and man, does it get hard sometimes. That is why we do what we do on these podcast episodes. Uh, My name is Mitch Schultz. I am your host. I'm also the director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry. Hey, it's been a while, Uh, often during the summer. Uh, Granted, I put out less podcasts than I normally do, but I've had a number of of uh, personal challenges that have led me to focus more on family uh, than my other responsibilities during the season. So it's really quite fitting that I'm doing this particular podcast on the topic of scripture and prayer, uh, because that has been a real sustaining discipline for me during the past several months. In fact, a tool that I've used that directly connects me to this podcast and the person that I'll be interacting with in just a few moments uh, has to do with this topic of uh, scripture and prayer. In fact, years ago, I started using Dr. Ken Boa's books. In fact, he's the one that I'll be interviewing here, uh, which has the focus on, on using scripture and prayer and just the discipline of carrying that through your day. And uh, again, what I did is I picked up some of those resources. And like I said, they gave me courage. They gave me perspective. They gave me hope during a hard season. And uh, I'm excited then when, through a future, uh, mutual friend, I was able to connect directly with Dr. Kenneth Boa and arrange this interview, and I'm excited that I have because I consider him one of my uh, spiritual uh, mentors, uh, at least in terms of, of reading his stuff. Uh, just a real brief bio about him before we dump, jump into this. Dr. Boa lives in Atlanta. He's the president of Reflections Ministries, an organization that seeks to encourage, teach, And equip people to know Christ, to follow him, to become progressively conformed to his image, and to reproduce his life in others. He's also the uh, president of Trinity House Publishers, a publishing company that is dedicated to the creation of tools, like the ones I'm talking about, that will help people manifest eternal values in a temporary arena by drawing them to the intimacy with God and a better understanding of the culture in which they live. So that is who he is. And I cannot wait to take you into that conversation right now. So let's do it. All right, I have the privilege today to be talking to uh, Dr. Kenneth Boa, and uh, you look like you're in um, someplace in Manhattan in a very elite looking library, but that's not actually where you are. Where are you right now? I'm
1: in Atlanta, Georgia.
0: All right. So yeah. you, you got some gray graphic behind you. What's, what's the place again in the background? It's, it's
1: actually the Morgan Library and Museum on Madison Avenue. It's one of my favorite. It was a private library that J.P. Morgan developed. He was a wonderful collector. And I love the beautiful books. And he did that well. He, had three, he has three Gutenbergs, One and one of the three that were known to be on, printed on vellum. I just I'd love to go to that place.
0: Oh, wonderful. Well, we you are an author, and I have read a number of your books before. I, I wasn't planning on asking you this, but I'm just curious. What is the oldest book you have in your library?
1: 1559, I think it is.
0: Wow. And it is, what book is
1: it? It's a book of... A lot of times it was printed in Basel, and uh, it was a collection of uh, Pythagoras and other Greek and Latin writers. Often in those days, they would print books and have collections of various things. I I would have brought it with me to show you It's downstairs. But... this, this library was known for incunabula because Morgan, what he would do is collect books that were printed before 1500, and that's called an incunabulum. And so, because uh, with, the, with the inventing of the movable type, which was not the printing press as such, but movable type, but that's mm-hmm. what Cooper came up with. Uh, that was about 1459 uh, uh, or something like that. So um, that these would be wonderful things, anything printed before 1500. Oh my goodness, yeah. Mine, yeah. mine goes back to 15, about 1559. 15, yeah,
0: yeah, I thought I thought I was doing pretty good. I have a first edition of Charles Spurgeon's Morning by Morning, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, published I think in eighteen yeah. seventy or so, and, I, 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 and I, I hold that, and I think I'm holding something here that. Uh, was from his time, and he, he might have held this himself. Who knows? He might have given this to yeah. <laughs> somebody. So I, I keep looking for, for things like that, but uh, uh-huh. they're, they're not cheap. Well, uh-huh. listen, uh, we're, we're going to be talking about uh, the pastor and prayer. Um, I know you write on a lot of things, but the things I've read that you have written have to do with prayer, use of scripture and prayer. Um, but let's, uh, let's get to know you a little bit. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, what you do, your family, and uh, what you're doing right now. Perhaps just, just take a, a couple minutes for that. Oh, yeah, my
1: quickest way of answering that question is um, I'm a writer, a speaker, a teacher, and a mentor. And so essentially it describes that when I say I'm a writer, I'm actually, I'm a creator. Let me just turn this thing off here. I'm a creator. Uh, I like to create resources. So my sandbox then is putting things together, uh, mm-hmm. visual, pr- visual resources, um, uh, video resources, uh, audio, and, uh, and uh, also um, written text resources. So I just constantly creating things together because I'm a generalist mm-hmm. as, a, as a generalist. I think I, of course, disciplinary lines, but I'm also a synthesizer and then, and then I, I synthesize, then I translate and then I apply. So I, I do those, those things together. Um, so I just love, Putting things together, uh, of course, there are various lines. So I'm a I'm a I'm a philosopher of science, but I love theology. I love to teach poetry and literature and film, um, and uh, so I, I so in scripture, of course, and ideas and philosophy. So in doing so, though, um, I like to integrate the the realm of the of the heart and the head and the hands. Mm-hmm. So, if I had to say anything, then it would be that my greatest p- passion is the integration of, of, of helping people to love God completely, to love ourselves correctly, and to love, love others compassion. Mm, mm. So that the inside out dynamics then of, of, of loving well and learning well and living well. That that is the essence of a book that I did called Conform to His Image, um, which is really about those dynamics of 12 facets of the spiritual life. Mm -hmm. And another thing that I have really enjoyed doing is creating a, a series of now what are now nine handbooks. The first of which was Handbook to Prayer, which was the whole concept of, of praying scripture back to God and giving people form and freedom in their prayers. And so, um, so I've been, I really enjoy coming up with resources to help people in their own journeys. Mm-hmm. Uh, another such resource is a guide to practicing God's presence, because I've realized even when people have a satisfying uh, devotional time, What do they do the rest of their day and most people haven't thought that through so but as i began to reflect on the scriptures it invites us to assume that the norm the normal spiritual life is one in which you would abide in christ you don't just do that in the morning or in the evening it's Mm -hmm. just ongoing you to love god and your neighbor is an ongoing process to walk by the spirit would be all the time to uh, Pray without ceasing to to rejoice always, uh, to to give thanks in all things. It's an ongoing process. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the God. On and on and on and on. Yeah, yeah. I think people haven't taken this thing seriously. They always attribute it to Brother Lawrence as being an unusual thing. But I have now come to believe that it's not a matter of, 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 of trying, but training. And it's not a matter of time, but intention. So that you are, we are capable, as Thomas Kelly said, of putting of, of putting our minds on two levels at once, both the spiritual and the material, because we're amphibious beings. And so we are actually spiritual beings having an earthbound embodied experience. Mm-hmm. And given, given that then, is it possible possible for us then to train ourselves to actually in, 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 encompass the two realms simultaneously, and I believe it is, but yeah. we have to train ourselves to begin to practice those things so that we become more and more spring-loaded to these things so that the ordinary uh, becomes extraordinary, so oh, splendor, splendor yeah. in the ordinary yeah. and those kinds of things. So then is it possible to live what I call the journey and also the story? So the the journey is living in the uh, immerse immersing myself in the ordinary, and so that actually, as as George Herbert said, "Teach me, my God and King, in all things thee to see, and what I do in anything, to do it as for Thee." So that idea, then, he's saying, is everything matters. The ordinary, the most routine, mundane activities can become extraordinary. In fact, later he says, "A servant with this clause, with this understanding, makes drudgery divine." Who? who sweeps a room as for thy laws makes that in the action fine. So he's saying even a charwoman can actually turn her work into something that has dignity because she's doing it not to impress people, but rather because she's doing it as for the Lord. So in all things to see him then is to take, you can then take out the garbage to the glory of God. You mm-hmm. see, so you can wash the dishes. Then everything matters. Now, that's that's staying that's living in the in the journey but then the then embedding the journey in the story in the narrative how can we then see every day in light of the journey so that we can actually come to long for um the city of God. So mm-hmm. uh, longing for another another country in Hebrews eleven, as Abram did. So then if I can embed my daily narrative in the greater narrative, the greatest story ever told, because another book I wrote was called rewriting your broken story. And the idea there is how do you fix a broken story? And the only way I know to fix a broken story is to embed our little story in the greatest story ever told. Mm. It's a a story that Dante called comedia comedy because it began well and it's going to end well. And so when we embed our little story in his story, then we now suddenly see we're part of a great story that's going to end well. So then if I can embed my narrative in his narrative, then every day, is a is is seen in the context of that day so i have two days in my calendar today and that day so mm-hmm. living today in light of that day but also living each day as if it was my only day
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then everything matters so those are those have become big themes in my uh in my teaching yeah
0: so uh, yeah and 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 you gave a wonderful summary of that it's interesting the number of uh videos i listened of you speaking those were themes that you, you seem to come back to on a regular basis. The
1: recurring then, motifs, I keep going yeah, back. Yeah, and and, it's,
0: and that's good. And I think one of the encouragement for for pastors out of this, I hope, would be that there's, there's mm-hmm. something that they're known for that, that people can say, what is your heartbeat? And yeah. your wife and your children be able to just very quickly say, hey, this is what matters to that yeah. guy. This is that's what right. matters to my yeah. husband, to my dad. Um, I, I'm becoming more, I'm, I'm, I just turned 60, uh, lost uh, my oldest uh, child to cancer and uh, I've had three other, uh, two others that had cancer in my family. I see. Uh, currently struggling with an adult child who's uh, just kind of wrestling with where his place is uh, in his relationship with the Lord. That's something that's been, you know, kind of a recent thing for us. And as I, as I'm reflecting on my life here, uh, it, it's just been beautiful hearing things like this because, well, I pre- I preached a series at, 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 as a guest speaker at a church not long ago on the Beatitudes, and one of the phrases I kept saying is, "We live for Him here." Uh, mm-hmm. And when you talk about that, we're amphibian. I think that's the term. You know, one, right. one foot in the land, one foot in the water, one foot yeah. here, one foot. That's just beautiful. Yeah. and it reminds me of Colossians three. You know, your life is you know, You have died. Right. Your life is hidden with God in yes. Christ. that's right.
1: And a, that's a beautiful picture. Yeah. In fact, George Herbert has a has a riff on that where he does a poem and uh, he talks about your life is hidden. And then when you see the poem, and then across there's a there's a diagonal. You can actually see that he has mm-hmm. those phrases. My life is hidden Him, who is my treasure. And but you, once you see the words, that's so why I highlight it. I'd have to share, share the screen, I can show it to you. But it's amazing. And all of a sudden, it was there in hiding in plain sight. Mm-hmm. And the whole his whole point is, he's there hiding in plain sight. Yeah. But yeah. only those who have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I've been doing, for example, in my guide to practicing God's presence, we even have an app called Presence, um, is t- training myself, for example, as I started to do years ago, with seeing him in in the natural world. So Mm -hmm. when now, when I drive, I can't help but see the glory of God in this um, tunnel of beauty through which I'm driving, you see, because then I see the architecture of trees and so forth. And the more you do that, the more your capacity to see. And so after a while you see what you weren't able to see before. So you actually develop your acuity and your capacity to see what you didn't see. The same is true with our garden and Mm -hmm. seeing the beauty of of the floral and what more you see, the more you are able to see. So then you begin to realize you're immersed in mystery and wonder and splendor, but most people people never even notice it. It's we're surrounded by, but we're impervious to it unless we train ourselves to see what others do not see.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's easy to be distracted, isn't it? It is. And uh, Spurgeon talks a lot about the providence of God and the way he, describes it are those you know being aware of those little things that a, yeah. a leaf falling from a tree landing in a brook flowing over a ripple of water that god that's right. watches that and you're you know so how do you uh, again i knew we would go different directions here uh, how do you what how, how do you avoid a, an over mysticism in this kind of yeah practice because what's that's one of the abuses that i see that we're you know i'm seeing this in our denomination where. We're emphasizing a kind of a practicing of God's presence where there's experience and manifestations. And I I can't I'm not finding that. I'm not even looking for that. It's more just by faith and, and trusting in who he said he was, but also how yeah. he's left his mark, he's left his mm-hmm. fingerprint. So I don't know if that question makes sense. Yeah. No, it
1: does make sense. I, what I'm simply doing is is leveraging what I now call the four words of God. The first word of God is the infinite word. And by the, the infinite word, I mean, uh, it is his word in the created order. It's his general revelation. Uh, so his, his His eternal power and divine nature being, are clearly seen throughout what is been made so that without excuse and so then we see in psalm 19 that the heavens are declaring the voice of god yet they speak eloquently in their silence but mm-hmm. they are eloquent and so what they do here's what he god does he the invisible works of god are manifested through the the visible world of god so the world becomes then a sacrament in the sense that points beyond itself for those who have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. Uh, those things that it actually invites us to see. So we take the we leverage the visible then and helps us point then to things that it, it points. What does it point to? It points to beauty and to goodness and to truth. Um, what what's often called gratuitous beauty. So that in as a scientist, I'm a philosopher of science, and in in that I see that you're dealing with non-coding material, you're dealing with things that, that are, are not involved in actual uh, genetic coding that, go, that are, are there that uh, do not have anything to do with adaptation but, uh, or, or for, for actual uh, genetic survival but you look at these things and they're there because they're fun and because they're amazing because God loves them. For example, 350,000 species of beetles. You don't need that many kinds of species. And each (laughs) one of them has features and wonders and marvels. I have a book on a hundred caterpillars and you look at these things and they have things and features and each one of them is different Mm -hmm. from each of the others. And how are they working? And it has wonderful features and they do adapt and wonder, and you don't need all those things. And yet, they are only transitory states, and I can't figure out there's no connection between them and the final state. So the more I look at the natural world, the more shocking and more wonderful, mm-hmm. more, more amazing. You see, here's what's happening. The, the, special, the infinite word points beyond itself to the inspired word, which is part of is God's special revelation. And the inspired word points beyond itself to the incarnate word. Because all of the inspired word speaks to Jesus, but all the things in, the, in Moses and then the law and the prophets spoke of me. So mm-hmm. the inspired word points to the incarnate word. And now the amazing thing is the fourth word is the indwelling word. Mm. So now he who called the galaxies into being is now indwelling within mm-hmm. us. So there is a mystical dimension that we can't deny in the sense that we're, but it's very incarnate, you see, because only the, the, the biblical Christianity is the most incarnate of the faiths. It it's, says that incarnation is a good thing. And it tells us that he, in his solidarity with the human condition, then became one with us. So that the idea of the sensorium, that's using the senses then as vehicles to amplify our appreciation of the one that is unseen. So now what I've been doing is I've been using my knowledge of and growing knowledge of the, uh, of na- of the natural world to enhance my experience of these of the special revelation but i'm also using special revelation to imp- enhance my appreciation of general revelation they reciprocally mm-hmm, forth mm-hmm. visible and the invisible and so they they kind of work together in this way what i'm in fact, i'm working on a book right now called uh it's based upon thomas cole uh the voyage of life series um he was a founder of the Hudson, Rules, uh, Hudson River School of Art. And um, we're using this as and his uh, A Course of Empire series about to show what, is it, what does it mean about the meaning of life? Because we're all on this voyage on this river, and you can't get off of it. And it's birth, growth, decay, and death. And it's so the re- realities of this world revealed us or our, the human condition of our mortality and the reality that we're all on these cycles of life. And so I'm trying to use beauty that in that case, the beauty of the artwork to bring us to the truth, you see, of our condition. So, so I'm bringing from beauty and to goodness and truth. And so using those as vehicles mm-hmm. to draw people, you see. Um, so creating tools, I'm a big believer in helping people with tools. I'm creating a book called uh, Jesus in His Own Words for evangelism. Instead of a gospel mm-hmm. tract, instead of a tract, and instead of a New Testament. This is a little book, 128 pages. It has 12 short chapters. And all it does is have in the red letters what Jesus said, and the, and the black letters would be, all it does is clarify and contextualize without any Christian ease. What did he say? And I'm writing it for a skeptic or a seeker. And so, and letting him reveal what he says, what does he come for, and uh, it's a beautiful book, and um, it's it's so just creating tools. Same with with a prayer. Uh, how can I help a person become successful, effective in my prayers? So I get off the gimme, gimme ruts and <laughs> people get all in their, in their ruts. So these are all tools, all the little things we're talking about are tools. to Yeah. Help
0: people yeah. On well, one of one of the tools, let's go ahead and jump into this. So one, right. one of the questions I was going to ask you was, well, uh, you know, and because I think you've answered it is uh, is what drives you the most and what matters to you the mm-hmm. most. And I I think you've clearly, uh, identified that. I mean, it's clear that as you've gone further in this journey, older you've you've gotten that there are certain things that uh, certain rhythms and and themes yeah. that emerge. But you, uh, so my my first introduction to to you to your writing was uh, probably 30 years ago when I was serving in Europe as a pastor. Um, and I could be wrong, and if this was the the resource, but it was called Face to Face. Oh with yeah, with God. And then most recently, and I I have it right here. I just purchased it again. I, I your handbook to prayer, which yes. I, uh-huh. I've been I've been using the digital version. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And uh, I thought I'd go ahead and and break the my thing. bank account and spend thirty bucks on the leather bound. Which is, <laughs> uh, so I'm 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 supporting you, I'm sure by doing <laughs> it. Um, but uh, yeah, so the 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 books that you've written specifically on prayer. Uh, talk about how they have uh, sort of morphed, what, what's been, what's sure. your heartbeat on there, because you, sure. uh, the handbook on prayer particularly is the use of scripture uh, yes. for prayer, which I love, so yep. yeah, talk to us a little bit about that. Sure,
1: yeah, I have nine books, uh, nine handbooks now, um, the one on prayer was the first, and uh, then the second one was Handbook to Renewal, which was taking, you um, scripture affirmations which is one of the forms of prayer so essentially before i go to the renewal i'll say that the form is scripture and the freedom is our response to it mm-hmm. and then the other part is the balanced diet so so people understand um it's not just gimme gimmies and getting into the gimme gimme rut but rather it's adoration always starts each day with adoration and then goes to confession because or the bigger our vision of God, then then we, big God would begin to realize then uh, our condition before him. Mm-hmm. And so then uh, adoration, confession, renewal, and then we have this seven day cycle of, of, of intercession and petition. And then affirmation, and a prayer of affirmation is basically taking a text of scripture and turning it into an affirmative statement of a truth. And that's what and then and then I go into Thanksgiving. And uh, closing prayer. And so, renewal um, would be taking affirmations about what the scriptures teach about various topics. So, for Hamburg to Renewal, I wanted to be a resource for people before they go to sleep about affirmations about who God is. And um, the, so, the person of God, the character of God, my relationship to God. The character I want to cultivate in my relation to others, and so before going to sleep, it takes five minutes. That's I love it, very very realistic. So spend one minute on two affirmations about the person of God. Hmm. One minute, and then all right, then you go to the uh, works of God. Two minutes on uh, one minute rather on that, and then one minute on two affirmations about my relationship to God. One minute about. Um, the character I want to cultivate and finally one minute about my relation to others. And so each of those has two affirmations, one minute each. And then all you have to do is go to sleep before you go to sleep, do this before you go to sleep. And um, the one that speaks to you is the one you choose to think about because you're setting your subconscious before, because when I remember you on my on my bed, then I remember you, and I meditate with you on, on my night, in the night hours. So let your first thoughts and your last thoughts are the key. So I turned this into um, um, a book that has a three-month renewal process of that nature. It also has a topical renewal guide. I was doing Bibles for Zondervan a number of years ago, and I remember because I was going to speak to the, to the whole the Bible division, I brought two copies um, of each, Hamburg to Prayer and Hamburg to Renewal at the time. Um, and the prayer was in the, in the red leather that you see, the burgundy, and the renewal is in the navy. And I, I happened to bring them with me, and I passed them around the table, uh, two to my left, two to my right. And by the time they worked their way around the table, they said, "We need to do one, do this ourselves." And that was the origin of Face to Face, Volume One and Two. Mm-hmm. So that's why they—that's why they did. It. But they—they they wanted it in their own translation, which was the NIV. Whereas the Handbook to Prayer is the KBV Ken Boa version. It was my own. <laughs> <laughs> it's my own edition. So. Then I later created um, a third book called Hammer to Scripture, which is basically 365 key chapters of the Bible. And so that's a devotional collection. So we're putting that in, we're going to be making a slipcase of that as well. So if you wanted a collection, you have for the morning and for the evening, Hammer to Prayer and Renewal. And then in, somewhere in the day, what chapter of Scripture? And it just guides you through that. It'd be a, it'd be a kind of a complete little collection. Also have other books like Simple Prayers, uh, um, Handbook to Spiritual Growth, and um, another book called Hammer to Leadership, and others of this sort. So there's a bunch of odds and ends of this.
0: Why, why do we find it uh, generally hard to uh, see scripture? I mean, pray, prayer is hard. Uh, you know, as as I've pastored, I mean, my, my own life, I talk about it with my family. Uh, you know, Bible reading is hard. Praying is hard. Uh, why do we find it hard to see that Scripture uh, is, is a, an, an approach to prayer? What, what, what do you, because I think when people hear that they say, oh, yeah, that, I wish I'd thought of that. That's such yeah. a, a logical. It, but, it is
1: strange, yeah, because really what you're doing when you're doing pr- praying Scripture is you're thinking higher thoughts than you'd come up with on your own.
0: Which is prayer <laughs> which is what yeah
1: because most people think of prayer as a strategy session between themselves and God in which they offer God generous suggestions about what they think they're yeah, best and it's se- and
0: it's separate from the Bible reading too I think that's the yeah mystery. they're
1: separating so why not combine the two most powerful disciplines into one yeah and then you're thinking his thoughts and then you're then uh, having elevated your thoughts then you're modifying adding your own thoughts based upon your meditation. On his thoughts, and now you've elevated it, and then you pause to add your own thoughts. Now you're thinking his thoughts after his. So you have the form of scripture, the freedom is your own response, and um, the balanced diet keeps you out of the gimme gimme rut. Mm-hmm. And it and it takes you by the hand, and after a while, you do this for a month. Um, you get into a short term habit. You do it for three months, and it becomes a part
0: of your habituation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I find it powerful to just sit on my front porch in the morning. Often my wife is is there. We're drinking coffee together. I've got my Bible open and I'll read a verse and just, and just reflect on it, and, and sometimes after an hour realize, I haven't really prayed. And <laughs> think, No, I actually have. I've been, I've been you, reading doing Scripture all, and reflecting the on The
1: whole it. time. Yeah. I have another thing that you might not have seen. is called Journal of Sacred Readings, and that's a simple process where you I have about 360 readings, um, texts of Scripture, and it, it takes you through a four-step process of read, reflect, uh, respond, and rest. And so, mm. It's more Lexio Divina, sacred reading, and so you, you you take a text of scripture and you uh, chew on it, and then you mm-hmm. meditate on you. Know, so you read it until you memorize it, put in your short term memory. Then you uh, meditate on it, and then you um, you uh, pray it back to God, and that's that's the that's the respond. And then mm-hmm. the rest is where you just kind of take one or two images from that an image or a word, and just. Don't stop doing the talking. And it's a very powerful way it's too. you. It's a kind of way of going from the mind into the heart. Yeah. And, and it's I've been accused of being too mystical or so forth in the area of contemplative prayer. I think that's um, a misnomer, because at the end, when you're talking about your life is hidden with christ and god mm-hmm. so if you, therefore if you're in if you're in a heavenly place to seek, seek the things above where christ is seated at the right hand of god set your mind on things above not on the things are if you died, died your life is hidden with christ and god when christ with your life is revealed then you also will be revealed with him if that's not mystical i don't know what is um the idea that you are mm-hmm. in him and he is in you you're seated with him you can't because the world has not yet seen what you will be. Mm-hmm. Um, it's talking about an interior life. Uh, in fact, in our spirit, in our deepest self, our spirit, um, I believe, is seated with him even now in the heavenly places in a way I can't grasp. Yeah. Whereas we, in, in our physical our nature, our soul, our minds, our will, our emotion, our hearts, our conscience, all that is being shaped and formed in this soul-forming world. Uh, But I believe our spirits, though, are already seated with him in the heavenly places, already declared righteous. So there's a deep mystery in which we are being, our souls are being shaped and formed in this soul-forming world, so that we're becoming, in, in our practice, more and more who we already are in our position. So it's a, we're in a, yeah, how would
0: you, how would you respond to someone who is a little nervous about maybe that, that mysticism? Uh, and, and they might say, and this is perhaps my way of, of yeah. asking the question, but let's say someone says that it, it, it mysticism becomes unhealthy when you stop thinking. You know, yeah. you mentioned you start with thinking, reflecting on the truths, the attributes of God. Is that the danger of where people get nervous? Where, we stop thinking, like the Lecto Divina, there's, there's yeah. criticism about that. I've done some research on that. I'm a little bit nervous with some yeah. of that. Because when someone stops thinking and then they become open to yeah. further revelation from the Spirit, and yeah, you know, how, I, how, yeah. How, do you, how do you respond to that?
1: Right. If we see it as it should be seen, um, rather than t- turning off your mind, it is the product of the reflection. Yes that it leads then to the contemplative prayer Mm -hmm. where deep calls to deep. We don't, for example, let's consider Romans eight. We don't know how to pray as we should. That the spirit uh, groans within us and he intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. So, here we have, even in the scripture, a warrant for something that goes beyond our verbal expression. Mm-hmm. So the, the idea then is that the spirit of God, that God's in fact interceding for us within himself, the spirit and also the of Christ in us. So, um, it's nothing wrong with silent prayer or something like this but it's not saying that we're denigrating the intellect we're actually going from the mind into the heart mm-hmm. um but we're not abandoning good thinking uh but we're also saying that there's a concept there are concepts here that go beyond our grasp our, 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 and that is exactly the four of paul's four life-changing prayers so when paul prays for a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so that you would know what is the hope of his calling whether the riches of the glory of his inheritance and the saints surpassing greatness of his knowledge, or that he would say that you would know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. So he's now praying not for Oida, an intellectual, but rather um, Epi uh, so he's a real knowledge, a knowledge that transcends just pure rationality. Now he's so he's not denying rational thought, but he's saying that there's he's praying for an apprehension that deep calls to deep, and it's the Holy Spirit that reveals. These are things that are revealed by the Spirit, not just by human um, logic. So it transcends. So it's the first Corinthians one and two concept. So it's doesn't, it's not diminishing logic, but it, it's it's saying that there are boundaries of human apprehension that we could not have gone and to attain. Um, and that's where we're dealing with mysteries in the scriptures mm-hmm. that, that we, that that's why the scriptures are filled with mysteries that no one ever could have or, th- or did think of. In fact, I'm using that as a kind of a whole basis for a book about this idea. It's on a level playing, world, playing field of ideas. It's the most uh, satisfying conceptual worldview there is most uh, clear, the clearest, most comprehensive, most consistent, um, uh, logical view there is. But at the end of the day, it still points beyond a, to a deeper concept, a mm-hmm. deeper rationality, and it invites us to say, to anticipate a context in which eye has not seen, or ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man. What I call an illuminative consciousness that of the new age, of, of the new, uh, of the of the um, of shall I say, the resurrected existence. So the first Corinthians 13, when we see him face to face. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do have this idea. I, I, for right now, we have an, an imaginative consciousness. We, we, have, we could not only have an intentional, but we can imagine things that don't exist and bring them into being like a book. And we can imagine a project or a business and bring it into being and bring into value something that didn't even exist an astonishing thing but we will have what i would now call an illuminative consciousness in which we will have a greater capacity than we do now but it'll still be the infinite consciousness of god that we will never attain but he'll always be full of surprises and the more we learn from the physical nature of the world whether the microcosm the mini-cosm or the macrocosm the more astonishing mysterious it becomes it's, it boggles the imagination the more we learn about this world.
0: Well, and I, I think you're, the, the balance you offer from what you've shared a few times today and also from what I've read and listened to you is you, in fact, you, you, you had one talk where you, and you referenced it one time today, that as we, our, our view of God expands or enlarges, uh, our awareness of our own sinfulness increases and then I love this statement that you make that then grace lifts higher. Yes, I think that's the appropriate, healthy. Because I think sometimes uh, an unhealthy mysticism or spiritual experience is uh, is we you know we we kind of ri- uh, lift ourselves up to a sense of deeper holiness because I've been closer to God and yeah
1: that would be and really
0: really the the more you're you 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 think about God the more. Realize, wow, this is so undeserved that I can even be in His presence in this way. But man, look what He did for me, you know. And I'm overwhelmed with that, and that takes me back to God, you know. Yeah, the
1: more amazed you are by grace, yes, yes, the more you're shocked by by the grace of God, and so it becomes more doxological. Whereas the false form of mysticism leads to a kind of like a a pantheism or Mm panentheism. No, in this case. I'm not being absorbed, but rather I'm being astonished by the, uh, the, um, the immensity of the grace of God that would cause me to have this intimacy with him mm-hmm. and that goes beyond all desert, all merit, mm-hmm. all, all grace. It's the, um, the George Herbert poem, Love, Me Welcome. Yet my soul drew back guilty of dust and sin, but quick-eyed love observing me grow slack for my first entrance and drew nearer to me, sweetly questioning if I lacked anything. A guest, I answered, worthy to be here. Love said, you shall be he. I, the unkind, ungrateful, oh, my dear, I cannot look on thee. Love took my hand and smiling did reply, who made the eyes but I? Truth, Lord, but I have marred them. Let my shame go where it doth deserve. Love said, but know you not who took the blame? My dear, then I will serve. You must sit down, said love, and taste my meat so I did sit and eat. The idea that love took the blame. I'm the one, but even then we want to serve. No, love, I'm gonna serve you. Mm. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna offer mm. the banquet. So beyond all merit, beyond all dessert, beyond all warrant, warrant then, it's gift and grace. And so the more you recognize. The disparity of the holiness of God and the influence of sin—the more your view of grace increases—and that's a good thing.
0: <laughs> I like yeah. to be a little personal sometimes, and I, I preach. That's beautiful, by the way. Um, I, what What are some of the hardest things you've experienced in your life that have deepened your love for the Lord Jesus and His Word, and and even deepen your prayer life?
1: Well, I, I would say um, it would be. I don't enjoy them, but the, the the severe mercies of God that that, that basically kill all earthbound hope. Mm-hmm. You see, it, it's the um, it's the righteous misery where you can and and where you cannot where you learn that you cannot turn a demand a desire into a demand, and, mm-hmm. you, and you then you finally learn the wisdom and the realization to stop asking why.
0: What and, what are what are some of those experiences in your life that have led to that loss or
1: oh tremendous uh, or? yeah no yes just I can't share them all but uh, situations with brokenness in the fa- in family in the, mm. uh, family relationships mm-hmm. that I'm having to go through and Karen my wife is having mm. to go through mm. um, now with her and with her with her diminishment of health as well but mm. when, I, when people ask me about her I say she's she's growing in hope. And we're closer than ever, mm. but uh, she'll mm. not, she'll not travel again. And, uh, mm. you know, and we did that. We, we had a, such a life of travel and wonderful things, but, but on the other hand, she's transferring her, her hope, you know, cause age conspires with God to transfer our hope from the temporal. Yeah. The yeah. And um, so in seeing that, then um, you become more world weary and homesick. Yes. And so that's a good thing. But, the, but at the same time, um, the realization that I do not know, what my best interests look like. So why should I turn a desire into a demand? Mm. How do I know what my best interests look like? And almost never do I see in, because I love to teach film and literature because a story well told points the honest self to the greatest story ever told. But almost never do you see in a character arc in a film or or a novel, do you see um, them ever really at the beginning Want, what their wants are almost never what their needs are. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I I know that what I want is almost never what I need. And so then the learning the wisdom, the hard wisdom of of turning my wants into his wants, which means to die to my wants. So it's a daily kenosis of death, an emptying of the self and living canonically, as I now call it kenosis where christ emptied himself so on a daily level then to give up my idea of what my best interest looked like that because it was not my best interest after all and to and then to welcome his will (laughs) as it comes to me is a training in righteousness but it is often a holy misery
0: Yeah. yeah yeah that's one 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 friend of mine refers to it as an unwelcome privilege it is we could probably wrap up with and thank you for sharing what you did uh, sure. uh i you you talk about how prayer uh gives us perspective in our lives and and even in eternity and and you use that term a couple times even today that they that we are in a soul shaping world uh maybe expand on that and and give us some final thoughts
1: well, I, my biggest theme, I suppose, of, of late, is the whole idea of the temporal versus the eternal. Mm-hmm. And so, <clears throat> if I can get people to grasp that that dynamic of the temporal and the eternal, I have a whole series of, of three books that discuss the temporal and the eternal. Because if I, the whole key to wisdom is to is to treat things according to their true value, mm-hmm. and it's very hmm. difficult to get people to let loose of. of Uh, of the arithmetic blunder of trying to take the visible and to, to eternalize that Mm -hmm. stuff that was never meant to last and stuff that was meant to be held with a loose grasp. Um, And so hard, even with people uh, who are followers of Jesus to let, let go of the visible, the palpable, the material and to realize that they are pilgrims in a narrow way. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's ultimately what it's about. I, I, I love how, you shared about your wife and, and, you know, not being able to travel and the the illnesses that are there. I, uh, you know, I I've been bragging a lot about my wife, Elaine lately, you know, she was hit with brain cancer 22 years ago and had to relearn uh, to communicate and to process cognitively. And uh, but yet I've never met a woman who loves Jesus as much as she does and, and talks about seeing, you know, her son who we buried uh 22 years ago this past weekend and um it it keeps me grounded i mean in in a sense of that's probably a ironic way to put it but it yeah. it, it keeps me grounded in the spiritual promises that are there mm-hmm. and uh and and to realize that uh yeah sometimes god places some things on us often he does to to deepen us and uh so they you know the takeaway here is is the value that scripture has as a, as a tool or a means to experience yeah. uh, deep intimacy yeah. with that God who uh, our, our pastor Sunday talked about, and this was on the anniversary of our son's death on Sunday. I didn't want to go to church, but I'm glad I did. Uh, but he talked from uh, Revelation 21, and I think in verse 6 it talks about this is our legacy. He will be our God, and we shall be his sons. Yes. And is. so here on the day that I'm grieving the loss of my son, in a powerful way, the Holy Spirit took those words and and injected me with a deep hope and excitement. This is our legacy. You know, we're always trying to leave a legacy to our kids yeah. here, and forgetting that the greatest legacy is what God has done, bringing us That's to be His sons and daughters. Right, and, and we get to, we get to call Him God, and He gets yeah. to call us sons.
1: <laughs> yeah, it doesn't get better. But... The last, so my, my new summary of these things of late has been this, that we're no longer defined by the pain of our bounded past. And when I say mm-hmm. bounded past, how many decades will we have in this world? Yes, I call yeah. it bounded because a few decades. Sure. We're no longer defined by the pain of our bounded past, but by the joy of our unbounded future. And that's when I see that, then that. how much pain do you have? God will leverage even that pain. And that will be turned into the joy of an unbounded future. Mm -hmm. So that is a rather good calculus to pursue.
0: Amen. Amen. Well, I'm excited to have uh, had this opportunity. I I talked to my daughter before calling you, and I told her, I get to interview one of my favorite writers and a hero of mine, and she said, I had to Google him. (laughs) Uh, So so I'm going to need to introduce you to that generation. Yeah,
1: fame is a relative thing.
0: (laughs) Ken, thank you so much for opening okay. your heart and sharing okay. so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Before You Quit podcast. If you have any questions or comments about anything we've talked about today on Before You Quit or any other podcasts, you can email me at mitch at mitchatbeforeyouquit.us. So until next time, stay encouraged and be courageous because serving Jesus is worth all of that hard stuff that comes with it. And remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, stay encouraged.